This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey, I'm Candace Lim, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And today, we are sadly missing our pal Rachel, who is feeling a little under the weather. But fear not, friends. She is still fighting her way back into the Bachelor Mansion. It's okay. She'll come back with an update. But I feel like this episode has actually been a long time coming, because lately I've been hearing a lot, seeing a lot, and talking a lot about a new K-pop group that is kind of making a pretty big splash right now. They debuted last year. They've just released their second EP, which hit number one on the Billboard charts, and they're called New Jeans. I'm super shy, super shy, but wait a minute while I make you mine, make you mine. That's Super Shy. It's one of their biggest songs right now. And it's kind of also the song that's been stuck in my head all week. But just to kind of give you a starter pack, New Jeans is a five-piece girl group that was put together by Adore that is a subdivision of Hybe. So this is the people who are kind of behind BTS. And the girl group New Jeans is made up of Minji, Danielle, Heren, Hyun, and Honey. And they take a lot of inspiration from like mid-tempo R&B, 90s pop. They're a little more laid back than some of the big groups out there right now, like Blackpink, for example. But you might notice that a lot of their sounds are inspired by things like Jersey Club beats and layered harmonies. And that's because they've brought in writers who aren't from the realms of K-pop to elevate their sound. We'll talk more about that later. And even though they currently only have like a dozen or so songs out right now, their debut EP went triple platinum in South Korea following the release of their debut single, Attention. New Jeans is also a bit of a world record breaker. You know, they are apparently the fastest K-pop group to reach 1 billion streams on Spotify. And this was apparently like a Guinness World Record previously held by members of BTS and Blackpink. But New Jeans is growing in popularity. The members are rising stars in the high fashion world and Rolling Stone is calling them the group of the moment. This month, they performed at Lollapalooza in Chicago, and there's actually this like kind of great TikTok of a security staff member like vibing to their song ETA. But I kind of think this speaks to like the bigger global dominance of New Jeans, a lot of which has happened because of the internet. You know, it's not wild for debuting groups or K-pop acts to use TikTok as this like major way to launch their music, but. This is a group coming from the house of BTS, okay? They're putting out dance practice videos. They've got their own app called Phoning where fans can like 
share their lives with new jeans. And all of these digital strategies have led to over a billion views on YouTube, along with just repeated virality on TikTok, where the hashtag new jeans has over 13.4 billion views, thanks to songs like Ditto, Hype Boy, and OMG. When we come back, we're going to talk with Vivian Yoon, who's the writer and host of K-Pop Dreaming, about the skyrocketing global phenomenon called New Jeans and what they mean for the future of K-Pop. All that and more after the break. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well... It was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back. So today, I'm really excited. I am joined by Vivian Yoon. Vivian is the writer and host of this great podcast from LAist. It's called K-Pop Dreaming, which looks at the rise and history of Korean popular music in the U.S. So welcome into your ears. It's Vivian. Hello, Vivian. Hi. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay. So Vivian, here's the thing. Every new member of the ICYMI universe, aka the ICU, they get inducted with one question, which is, what is your first internet memory? So this can be like the first website you were addicted to, the first piece of technology you held in your hands, like anything. My first internet memory, I mean... As a millennial, like, it's got to be, like, the dial-up AOL sound, mm. right? And AIM. Like, being addicted to AIM, choosing your screen name, and, like, setting your away messages. 
all cryptic like song lyrics and things like that and <laughs> and having like that phantom aim sound yes like that was like a very big part i feel of like my middle school and high school days yeah, a hundred percent. I feel like what's so sad is the only version of that in like my current life is like the Slack notification. Oh, that's really sad. <laughs> it's so sad and it's so triggering. It's so triggering because like at least with AIM, it was like, oh my God, Brian, Brian sent me a message. And now it's like Brian sent me a message. I <laughs> know. That sound for me was always triggered to like, is my crush yes. typing back? Right? Like yes. that's what it is. But for I don't know, for work, like, that's a real bummer. That's a bummer. <laughs> exactly. And so I very much resonate with you about that. But, you know, we are here today to talk about New Jeans. And they are a K-pop group that came out with their second EP, Get Up, this summer. That album just hit number one on the Billboard charts. So they're not like a small thing. This is a big thing. We're going to talk about it. Vivian, I want to know, how did you first hear about New Jeans? You know, it's so interesting. I actually heard about New Jeans through talking to their producer or one of their <gasps> producers, 250. Like that's how I heard about New Jeans. Oh. So it was it wasn't through TikTok that it, like it wasn't through sort of like traditional means, but it was really chatting with the person who like composed a bunch of their songs and their music. Yeah, and 250 is a pretty acclaimed producer, I would say, in South Korea. You know, he's won big awards. He's worked with groups like BTS, and he did produce songs on New Jeans' first EP. So this is like Attention, Hype Boy, Ditto. So you spoke with him. What was that conversation like? Yeah, so we actually wanted to talk to 250, who's a producer and a DJ, about something um, really specific called Bong. Sure. And bong is kind of hard to explain, but it's this musical element that all these Korean music producers and songwriters, they all point to this thing, bong, when they're talking about like what sets K-pop apart from other kinds of pop music. Mm -hmm. Because K-pop is musically different. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to talk to 250 about bong because he had actually made an entire album on his own called bong. Mm -hmm. And, like, each track was, like, a different interpretation of this thing. Um, but it's a lot. Like, it's it's an entire episode in my podcast. And we sort of trace bong or bongjak to um, this, like, century-old style of Korean music that originated in the 1930s during, like, Japan's colonization of Korea. Mm -hmm. And then we track, like, how it's changed through the years, um, mapping South Korea's history along with it. And... And it turns out like all of this South Korean history, this like very painful South Korean history that involves like occupation and war mm -hmm. and then another war and and like dictatorships and all these things like that is what makes bong what it is. And then bong is what's present in K-pop today. And New Jeans is like a perfect example of that. Like he pointed to the song Hype Boy because sure. I think it had just come out when he and I were talking and mm -hmm. he he sort of identified the bong in that song for us. I am so curious how you would describe New Jeans. Like if someone had never heard of them and asked you like, who are they? How would you describe their sound? How would you describe the type of group they are? Like what are some words you'd put in there? 
Um, I would say like nostalgic and fresh mm. are kind of like the words that come to me. They have a lot of like throwback influences, which are really apparent in their music. Like there's a lot of like club, like East Coast club music influence. There's a lot mm-hmm. of like R&B harmonies. Um, that thing I was just talking about, bong, like that's very present, which is like this contrast of like really dreamy chords and melodies and like sort of sad pining lyrics with like mm. upbeat melodies and like catchy choreo like all of that and then for their look i think you know very fresh-faced teenage girl next door type of image i would say mm-hmm. is sort yeah. of is sort of what i think of when i think of new jeans mm-hmm. and correct me if i'm wrong but the name new jeans it's supposed to reference like buying new jeans and how denim is kind of this timeless fashion item and they want to be timeless and nostalgic as well and then also it kind of is a entendre on like new jeans g-e-n-e-s this idea of like they're going to be a new generation of pop music which i think is totally totally fair to say is it also true their fans are called bunnies yes and yes (laughs) (laughs) i think so do you know anything about how New Jeans like came together in the first place? I think they were produced by um, the group that manages them, Adore, which mm-hmm. is like a subsidiary of Hybe, mm-hmm. um, which is like this massive entertainment company now. Like Hybe bought Scooter Bronze management company and things like that. So um, it's just this massive, massive kind of corporation and adore is like an offshoot of them so yeah uh the various members were like involved some of them were involved in other groups but eventually like they all came to adore they were like recruited and scouted and then you know the group was essentially like assembled they were put together which is pretty typical for like the k-pop idol Mm -hmm. trainee system um groups don't like make themselves it's usually like the company brings people together and then like Mm -hmm. make sure the chemistry is good and assembles like a concept around them and all of that so I think that's kind of how they came together you mentioned Hybe is the company that owns Adore Hybe this is the BTS people yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh yeah and so they have a global mind they have a global perspective as you mentioned, Minhejin is Adore CEO, and she's kind of like the creative director of New Jeans, would you say? Yeah, I think she's she's more than that, probably, just because like she is the CEO, so she's sort of in charge of like, you know, all the big picture stuff. But it seems like as a former graphic designer and like chief brand officer, and um, yeah, she used to be a creative director at SM and things like that. So. I feel like she's very, very heavily involved, um, not just in their branding, but also in terms of like the music too. Um, I think that was like a very personal point for her because there was a lot of criticism that like, you know, as someone who wasn't a musician, like, you know, all these like YG, SM, JYP, like they were all successful musicians, like singers and dancers and solo artists before they became like the heads of these giant um, entertainment companies. But Min Hee Jin was specifically like she had like a very visual background. So I think she said in interviews that she sort of wanted to prove that like musically she could also sort of deliver too. 
Um, and she really did with new jeans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did. And, you know, I think she seems to be credited with a lot of the imagery, you know, the vision board surrounding new jeans. And just for like a Western comparison, it just really reminds me of like One Direction auditioning for X Factor and Nicole Scherzinger, like moving around their photos to make sure they all fit. And I think that's kind of an archetype that does seem to happen in K-pop. But I would argue K-pop's been doing it first, right? Like they know what they're doing when it comes to just chemistry and building the image. Yeah, K-pop has been doing it since the like mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, it was this guy, SM or Isuman, who basically created like the first K-pop idol group who was known as HOT. Like they were like high five of teenagers and it was these like five um, boys and it was like the first Korean idol boy band or boy group that was like created by one person. Um, So they have been doing it forever, but SM really drew inspiration from, like, American pop music stars and Mm -hmm. then, like, the Japanese idol trainee system. So even then, they were, like, drawing influences from other countries and things like that. But, yeah, the whole, like, K-pop groups being masterminded by, like, one overarching producer that has definitely existed for, like, you know, almost 30 years now, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do math. 2023 <laughs> minus 1996. Yeah, somewhere, some, something like that. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I actually kind of want to talk about the outside influences here because, you know, on New Jeans's latest EP, four out of the six songs on that record were co-written by Erica DeCassier. And she's like a Copenhagen-based singer-songwriter. And there's a really good interview in GQ from Raymond Ong where he talked to Erica about the process of writing for New Jeans. You know, one of my favorite parts of that interview is when she talks about like getting the new jeans call and they're like, do you listen to a lot of K-pop? And she was like, no. And they were like, that's perfect. That's what we're looking for. And I when I listen to new jeans like Super Shy, for example, I remember just hearing like a lot of Jersey Club beats. And when I heard OMG, I remember being like, oh, this is so something like Charlie Puth would write or produce or sing. And so there are just so many influences in New Jeans' music that strike me as Western, or maybe like stemming from a from a global marketplace. Is that kind of where K-pop is going now? Just, you know, outside of that standard definition of whatever or whoever Korean pop music is for? Before I started working on my podcast, I would never have called myself a K-pop fan. And I was mm-hmm. one of those people who like, you know, saw Psy blow up with Gangnam Style back in like 2012 or whatever and was like, what is happening? Like, mm-hmm. why why are all these like white people doing the horse dance at me? Like, yeah. and, yeah. and honestly, like found it kind of annoying, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then as K-pop blew up, obviously with BTS from like 2015 onward, I was just really confused. Yeah. Like, why? <laughs> why mm-hmm. and how? Like, how is this happening? And so that sort of, what spurred me to go on this journey with k-pop dreaming to like uncover the history and the rise and to see like well what is this music really um and i one of the things that i was really surprised to learn was this thing that you're talking about about how k-pop draws from all these western influences and i realized like oh, they've been doing this from the beginning. Like, Mm -hmm. this is not a new phenomenon from the 90s and even earlier with 
this group called Sotejian Boys, who were like credited as being the first like K-pop boy band. Mm-hmm. Um, they were drawing from like hip hop and like heavy metal and pop, and then people like you know Michael Jackson and stuff like that. So from the very beginning, it was. It, it was very uh, all about like synthesizing Western with like Korean. Um, and it's just really surprising. So I think, you know, if anybody goes back in any of the generations of K-pop and and kind of isolates like that one group that they want or, or a song, like you're going to hear Western influences no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to talk more about that globalization effect that's kind of happening in K-pop. But first... We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about new jeans, our personal experiences growing up with K-pop, and how the history of K-pop is informing its future. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So, first it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. It would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. (laughs) And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails. There ain't no going back. And we're back. So I have actually been thinking a lot about why New Jeans is blowing up so big, so fast. I have a theory. Tell me what you think. My theory is that, especially in America nowadays, one of the most popular genres of music is just kind of like sample culture. This idea of like, let's bring Rick Astley's song from like years ago and put it in a Young Gravy song. And it's just, it's like half parts annoying. And then the other half of it is like, oh, people are just kind of like banking on nostalgia to get them back on the charts. But I think with New Jeans, you know, there's a lot of K-pop groups who they want to break into the American market. They want to break into the European market. And what is an easy way to do that? To ask one of those artists to collab with you. So that's Halsey on BTS. That's Coldplay on BTS. That's Selena Gomez doing that ice cream song for Blackpink. And I think it's really interesting that instead New Jeans was like, 
we instead are going to take those influences, those little nuggets of like the Halseys and the Selenas and the Coldplays, and let's just do it ourselves. Like, let's just do it ourselves. Let's ingrain it into the music and let that be the thing that speaks to this global fandom. Because I've been thinking a lot about how, you know, there's so much English in Super Shy, for example, right? And they have like little lines here that were translated in Korean. But, you know, Erica de Cassier, she she talked about how she wrote the song as English. They tracked it as is, changed some little things here and there. And I just kind of wonder, like, is maybe K-pop not really about the Korean language anymore? Is it maybe kind of more about the music being the language that kind of represents whatever, you know, K-pop is exporting at the moment, I guess? I think that's a really good question. Um, and I don't know if there's an answer. I feel like people are having a hard time defining what K-pop even is right now. Mm-hmm. Because there, there are groups now that are coming out that are like, we are not K-pop. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. we aren't limited to just Korea. Um, and then everything you're saying is so true about like you know all these songs like the hybridization of these songs um and the different languages like it's just baked in and like the globalization sort of like globalized angle is like very apparent from the beginning right that strategy i don't know if new jeans is like the only group that's doing it right right but i I do think that that is a really big thing and a really big question of like, well, the more more K-pop continues to become globalized and like aims to reach people internationally from the get-go, like, and the less and less like Korean elements you have, like, where's the line? Like, when does it stop becoming K-pop? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think a lot of people are asking that question now and kind of nobody knows what the answer is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you think about new jeans, just like face value as a group and you really look at them, what do you think is kind of different about them in terms of like, you know, the music, the styling, the marketing, even, you know, what is the thing that kind of pushes that pushes them kind of like outside of the box of what other girl groups, other boy groups, the BTS is the girls generations, you know, what, what do they do differently? I was reading this interview with Min Hee Jin and she was sort of talking about how with new jeans, she really wanted to buck all these different trends that were happening. Mm -hmm. So like for instance, when it came to like the fashion of a lot of these girl groups, you had, you know, really colorful hair and really elaborate costuming and things like that. But then new jeans sort of comes on the scene and they have very, um, simple hair their uh, simple makeup and their mm-hmm. hair is very specifically done in a way that it looks sort of like a teenage girl's hair right right just like very straight and black or brown um and their outfits are reminiscent of like you know the y2k mm-hmm. like aesthetic mm-hmm. and they do have accessories and things like that but they're also coming out a lot in like a t-shirt and jeans or like a crop sweatshirt and sweatpants. And so there's this deliberate like casualness 
um, to their fashion, which is really different. And and I think there are a lot of these kinds of things where it's not just the fashion, it's not just the music, it's not just the music videos, but all across the board. I think um, Min Hee Jin had like a really specific aim of like seeing what the trend is and then doing the opposite to try and make new jeans stand out, which... I think it worked. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I mean, they're like so I, successful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it is working. I think, I think the TikTokification and the way that they've kind of been able to just kind of blow up on that, blow up on Billboard, all that stuff. I find it obviously kind of. Uh, I find it part of the globalization of kind of K-pop and all that stuff. And I was kind of wondering, and you can give me your best guess. Do you think New Jeans was created for a Korean fan base? Or do you think maybe from the beginning their aim was always to be global, to have kind of this like pretty dominant non-Korean, maybe even like non-Asian fan base? I think K-pop across the board um, strategically now the intent is global mm. um, like the American market is huge but K-pop is also really big in places like Vietnam and the Philippines and Indonesia right. and and it has been for a really long time so even like South Korean not just idol groups but like actors and stuff will also do like an Asian and a Southeast Asian tour mm -hmm. and things like that. So I think it's totally fair to say that New Jeans has had its eye on the international market from the beginning. Um, and I think that's, that's just where K-pop is at now. Like it was sort of relegated to South Korea, Japan, China, um, Taiwan, places like that in like the 90s and early 2000s and um artists like boa and tongbang shingi mm -hmm. like they were really huge overseas but it was all limited to asia and then they k-pop groups tried to cross over with groups like big bang and 21 and girls generation and they sort of did it but it really wasn't until size Gangnam style that like the floodgates burst open and then all of a sudden like the average American person knew what K-pop was. And then after that, I would say from like 2012 onward, there has been a really um, global emphasis. Uh, yeah, with like s idols like being trained to learn multiple languages and and things like that like it's it's been a focus for a pretty long time mm -hmm. yeah and you know that's kind of actually making me think about one of your early episodes of k-pop dreaming that i listened to about how you were kind of this like outwardly emo kid but on the weekends loved listening to k-pop with your friend kind of like before and after church i very much identify with that as well like i grew up in orange county where like i went to like a 60 percent korean high school but it was k-pop and just watching girls generation youtube videos with my friends which is kind of this like quiet thing we didn't really talk about and then you're right i remember the day gangnam style was on the today show and just being like oh here we go here we go and all of a sudden there is this demand and that kind of demand has kind of i think in a way created and paved the path for new jeans and bts and all these kind of 
recent groups to kind of just pop in this crazy way. And to be fair, they have to put in the work in order to pop and to be good. Like the music has to be good. Um, And that is something that I find optimistic about New Jeans, that they seem very original. I actually think so. Yeah, totally. Um, That's so funny that you were watching Girls' Generation videos. (laughs) I know. (laughs) On YouTube in OC. Like, Mm -hmm. I just feel like so many of us Asian American, like, SoCal kids had um, so many, like, common, like, shared experiences Mm -hmm. growing up. Um, I don't know what our age difference is, but yeah, definitely growing up, like, K-pop was not considered to be cool. And I, I know... It's, like, so shocking for younger people to hear that, like, somebody would hide their love of K-pop because now it's everywhere. But it really was, it really was something that, um, that made you different and, and that made people perceive you as, like, less American somehow if you mm-hmm, were connected to K-pop. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so interesting because k-pop for a long time represented this part of me that i wanted to hide which was that korean half of my korean american identity and it was really only through this podcast which i keep coming to coming back to but it's really because it changed my life of like Mm. learning about k-pop history uh it helped me sort of figure out my place as like an asian american person from los angeles um, and figure out like, yeah, where is that space for us? Because K-pop is is rooted in South Korea, right? Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. South Koreans are very different from Korean Americans. Right. Um, yes. Just like, you know, a mainland Chinese person is very different from mm-hmm. like a third generation Chinese American person. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, sometimes people who are not Asian, they kind of forget that that huge difference is there. And we can sort of get conflated like... I don't know how many times people will ask me what my thoughts are or of like, oh, what do South Koreans think about this right now? What right. are people thinking about that? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. I don't <laughs> live there. Like, I'm not from there. Yeah. And it's just this interesting thing, I think, that's been happening. I don't know what your experience is with that. Yeah. No, I, I totally identify with that as well. And it's interesting because... You know, in exploring this episode, I was thinking a lot about how (laughs) so many people around me who are uniquely non-Korean, but even also non-Asian, they love K-pop now. They love new jeans. And I I don't know if that exactly is helping me kind of get over my like middle middle school shame or that love. But I do find just kind of like that experience to not only be so relatable, I mean, even between you and me, but just the fact that there's probably a kid in like Montana who probably had a very slimmer thing of like, well, no one looked like me except for literally girls generation. And that's why I went home every single day and watched them because it was the only exposure I had to like someone who may not have sounded like me, but looked like me. And that that's, that's very honest. That's a very honest projection, I would say. Yeah. And this is why, I mean, for me, as this Korean-American kid who's going through exactly what you're talking about right now, I think the part that was so, like, fundamentally, like, it was just so important for me to learn was seeing that K-pop's history was informed by, like, all these global forces and these big historical moments and events that really made the music what it is today. Mm-hmm. Um 
that those same forces are the things that shaped my own family history. Mm-hmm. And like, they're the same things that influenced and like caused my family to immigrate from South Korea to Los Angeles. And it's the same stuff that affected like why my dad ended up joining the U.S. Army, you know, when he was in college. And and then he ended up being stationed in South Korea and then meeting my mom, who was a Korean local. And they actually met in that neighborhood I was talking about earlier, oh, Itaewon. Wow. Yeah, and like really it's, I think there's so much power in seeing that these big connections they're not just abstract things that like make K-pop what it is today. Like they're also these really big events that influence why our parents and our grandparents made the choices that they did. And then in turn, like made us second or third generation immigrants, you know, like it's all connected. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the reason I like K-pop now, it's because I see that connection to where my family came from Mm -hmm. and I see that connection to like I am who I am because of the same things that makes k-pop what k-pop is Mm -hmm. yeah and I think k-pop as a genre it's so much more than a melting pot I kind of hate that phrase anyway but I think k-pop the biggest disclaimer is that it's not just pop and it's not just Korean anymore. You know, one of the members, like we mentioned, one of the members of New Jeans is Vietnamese Australian. Like there is there is something about the way that K-pop has superseded itself to be so malleable, but it works, which is crazy. But I think it's the thing that ties a lot of people and maybe like bonds together. And so, you know, just kind of going back to New Jeans for a second, Do you have any thoughts about maybe the future of New Jeans? Maybe kind of like how big do you think they're going to get? Do you think they're going to be BTS level famous? Or do you think they're kind of like in a good place right now? Like they're having fun. I have, I mean, I'm so scared to make any predictions. I hope they continue (laughs) to do well because I really like their music personally. Um, But it's so funny, like, when you're talking about how honey is like Vietnamese Australian, everything. Okay. I know I keep bringing it back to the history and I'm not trying to be a bummer, but I really think it's important when we talk about like the globalization of K-pop to keep stuff like this in mind, because everything is so nuanced and so layered. Um, Like Korea, like South Korean military forces were actually the second largest like foreign military force present in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. So like after the US, it was South Korea and like South Korean soldiers committed like so many atrocities against the Vietnamese people. Mm -hmm. And there's this history with like kimchi being present in Vietnam because of the war and things like that. And and now you see, you know, K-pop sort of capitalizing on... um, Vietnam's consumption of the genre but Mm. there are all these layers right with globalization like Korea wasn't just a victim of like Japanese and American imperialism like it was also a perpetrator and so I think when people talk about globalization like it's really easy to sort of forget the history of globalization and imperialism and where it comes from but there are all these layers and it's really nuanced and I think the same thing goes for when people talk about like the presence of hip-hop and k-pop you kind of forget the history of like how hip-hop even made its way to Korea in the first place and why young people got obsessed with it. It's like 
Yeah, it's because the U.S. armed forces were stationed there because of the ongoing war that, like, South Koreans did not start. So, anyway, I know that's a lot when you just ask, like, is New Jeans going to become super big? And then I'm, like, talking about the Vietnam War and stuff. But I just think it's really important in looking to the future, like, also remembering the past, kind of, in these conversations. You've brought some really, really great history that I didn't even know about. And so... If listeners, you're interested in hearing more, Vivian hosts a really great podcast. It's called K-Pop Dreaming. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. But Vivian, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, that's the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so definitely subscribe. That way you never miss an episode. Leave us a rating and a review in Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, how do I join the bunnies? And you can always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks, Rachel Hampton, and me, Candice Lim, with a special thanks to Emily Cherish. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online. Or on phoning. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So, first it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. It would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. (laughs) And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails. There ain't no going back.